You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Wednesday at 8 p.m. I am your professor, David Kirk along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi. And here we are once again for another episode of Music Biz 101 and More. We're very happy to be here and very happy to have you here, you wonderful listeners. Feeling good today, Dr. Esteban? Yes, very good. That's great. We have a great guest today, Gabs Landman, VP of A&R at Warner Records. We'll have her in a moment. But before that, we should remind you, make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for that newsletter. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook at MusicBiz101WP. The podcast is always at iTunes and SoundCloud. Should we give thanks? Yes, please. We're going to give thanks to the folks at Bandai and Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss, plus Zach Brown now. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you are ready. Also, we want to give thanks to, Chris, to Christine. Boy. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped professionals in every country on every planet. Yes. Yeah, she, she gets around, managed our business, planned out for the retirement. When somebody like you or a friend is looking to building a bridge to your financial future, you want to think of the group and you would go to Christine. Oi. They at Forefront, F O U R, Forefront.com. The last toy of savings. Which you should definitely do. And now we have music band. No, I'm sorry. We have Managing Your Band, 7th edition yes. coming. We picked a cover today, I guess, didn't we? Yes, and I'm sort of now doubting myself. I think I do like number one better, but it's too late. Because we gave the uh, book publisher, he gave us four options. We said, we said one or two. He chose two, and now Dr. Stavon says number one. So, yeah. We're going to have our listeners really wondering how is it going to be one or number two? We will see. And now, so we are here with Dr. Gabs Landman. She's not a doctor, but she knows so much, <laughs> so much. She's earned an honorary doctorate to the world of music business. So, Gabs, great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. You can so, tell. Tell me, how yes. did you go from eating pizza at the varsity 
to <laughs> A&R and being with Dua Lipa, and you're still so young. Well, the whole time I was at Syracuse, I was like one track mind obsessed with being a booking agent. It was my dream. And so I joined the concert board. I interned at Live Nation in Madison Square Garden in the agency group. And I was just so determined. And a lot of my classmates mentioned A&R, but it just didn't really speak to me as a career path. Like to say I fell into it is an understatement. Um, David Rezik actually introduced me to Janice Brock, who was the head of creative at Sony TV in London. Mm -hmm. And I went there to study abroad, which it was my hometown, but um, I ended up interning for Janice and Mark Scher, who was responsible for about 80 songwriters on his roster. And he was one person handling that huge roster. And even as an intern, I had a lot of opportunity to actually do things, which at my past internships, it was incredible shadowing people and learning about the live music industry, but it wasn't necessarily hands-on. And at the Sony internship, I was booking sessions for people. I was helping with writer trips and making suggestions and pitching songs. And when my internship was coming to a close, it was the end of my full semester abroad. Um, they asked if I would stay and start as an A&R assistant, um, helping Mark and kind of continuing what I was already doing. Mm -hmm. And so I really loved working with writers and producers. I never considered it as a career option before. I didn't really know about it. Like, I think we hear songs on the radio or at concerts or whatever, but we don't really, at that point in time, I was like a member of the public. So, you know, you don't really think about how did this song happen? Who wrote it? What were the circumstances leading up to it? And having that insight, I just felt very close to the creation of songs and I immediately loved it. So started out Sony TV and eventually I ended up uh, working at Tap Management who at the time had a superstar artist in Lana Del Rey but um, everyone else on the roster was in development. And a lot of them didn't have label deals, didn't have an A&R person. I was there as a management assistant, but a lot of my time ended up being devoted to making sure these artists were in the studio and working with people and busy. And so um, what originally was like a management assistant role turned into an A&R position at a management company. And I ended up being day-to-day -day manager and A&R for Dua Lipa before she signed to Warner Records. Um, then some time went on. I had an incredible time working with her. You know, we went to Sweden and Los Angeles and Toronto, and I got to travel the world and see so many studios and meet all these brilliant producers and songwriters. And I fell in love with Los Angeles. I really wanted to be based there. Uh, Mike Karen, who runs APG, had heard of me because I was managing like a slew of writers and producers and Duo was starting to gain momentum and he reached out to meet me and I ended up moving to LA and working for him for a few years doing A&R on the publishing side. Mm -hmm. um, few years into that, I had signed a writer named Amy Allen, who when we met, she was on tour with a band that formed at Berkeley. And she started writing for other people. And we had this incredible journey together of kind of from day one of her writing career 
to having number ones with Harry Styles and Halsey and radio hits with Selena Gomez and all these great things. Um, so when I left APG, Amy asked me to manage her, which I, uh, I was so happy and started doing that immediately. We eventually brought in a co-manager who is Jonathan Ishak at Mick. Jonathan managed John Mayer for a long time with Michael McDonald. He manages Lennon Stella, Leon Bridges, a bunch of incredible career artists, uh, Maggie Rogers, like there's just too many to even name. And my expertise is more on the a and and day-to-day side. Jonathan is like a wizard when it comes to touring and live and really building a long-term artist. So uh, we teamed up and then I took an A&R gig at Warner Records and I'm kind of on the other side of things. Like um, as a publisher, I was setting up the sessions and pitching songs and now I'm receiving the songs and the session ideas and helping develop artists. So that was a very long-winded response and you got to hear my dogs crying in the background. So I hope that was okay. (laughs) So you must have been pleased last night with the Grammys. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I didn't work with Dua anymore. I'm honestly like Mm -hmm. a biggest fan and champion. And um, there are people in Los Angeles who remember in like 2015, me saying this was going to happen. Like, I've always believed in her this much. And um, she has been outstanding from day one. It was just clear that she deserved to be a superstar. And it's kind of the artist that I think the world needed. We don't have like this exceptional pop star right now who's a full-blown entertainer and writes their music and mm-hmm. just puts mm-hmm. on a great show. And I think especially in this pandemic, it became so apparent like how incredible having an artist like Dua in the world really is. I saw her open for Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah. Was that in Australia? No, it was in Newark, New New Jersey. Oh, okay. The Prue Center. And he he just about gave her 45 minutes and very small stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, only a piece of the stage, actually. Uh, And she really couldn't do, just didn't do it justice. I mean, if you... phoning, Phoning it in and then leaving. If but you anyway, talk about 10,000 hours, though, she toured an insane amount, like really right. was on the road constantly. So she's worked for it and deserves yeah, everything. Yeah. You mentioned that um, you were doing a and r for a management firm. And now, of course, you're at Warner's. Uh, what's the difference between doing A&R at a record company and doing A&R manage- management There are actually a lot of similarities because of the kind of role that's been carved out for me at Warner's like um, on the management side, especially because a lot of the roster didn't have label deals yet. um, It was really heavy development. And I think that that does fall on management more often nowadays than on labels. But I'm kind of in a unique spot because my roster is pretty much all artists in development. And it's the same thing. It's finding the right collaborators for their projects. Some people write everything by themselves and just need feedback. Some people want a producer, some co-write, some people take outside songs. Like there's just such a wide array of different options and it's about filling in as needed. And I found that that was kind of the case on the management side and on the label. 
Um, I'm more kind of inclined to find new talent at the label, um, on the man at the management company, like, um, tap is run by two partners called Ben Morrison and Ed Millett. Sorry, they are going absolutely berserk. Um, but they, Ben and Ed have always been incredible at finding talent and they would usually source clients on the roster. And then I would come in and help with the development and sessions and, getting the music together for people. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, everybody, and I'm sure in Bandier as well, but our program as well, everybody wants to do A&R in a record, in, in a record company. Yeah. You, it's, you was almost like an afterthought to do it at a record company. Well, I, I mean, I never even thought about A&R as a career path, but I'm really grateful that I've had the experience of doing it at a publishing company and on the management side, because it gave me a knowledge and understanding of all the songwriters and producers and who does what and what are they exceptional at and what are their personalities like? Like, what do I think their chemistry will be like with each artist? And having that kind of knowledge comes in so handy. Like, um, I would say just, I can pretty much like predict how a session will go and who's going to get on and make great music with each other. And I'm not sure if I would have had that without coming from a world of kind of working with more writers and producers and hanging out with them all the time and getting to know them and what they like to do. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's great. I have relationships now where I, I will be working with a new artist that, you know, probably in other circumstances might not have the access to really big writers and producers, but I've known these people for years and established kind of like a history with them where they trust me. And so I can pull in really high level opportunities for baby acts now. And um, again, I'm not sure how easy that would be if I just went straight into a record label. Right. Yeah, sorry about this. Good. My dogs just went on a barking spree. Rings once a year, and that's uh, always one on a show. Uh, <laughs> so how how have you been doing A&R now with the COVID? Um, it's honestly, it took a second to just acclimate, but it's been definitely like a lot easier than I thought it would be. I think a year ago today or something, we went into lockdown and I was so panicked. Like I was just like, how is anyone going to collaborate? How are we going to meet with artists? How are we going to speak to each other? Like, you know, I vividly remember my first Zoom meeting and like absolutely hating it. And now it just feels so normal. And I think that's the same for the talent. Like at first, uh, writing songs on Zoom was kind of a challenge and people didn't want to do it. And as time went on and it became apparent that this wasn't ending as quickly as people thought, they had to just deal and I think we've kind of evolved a bit. And um, there are some people who work in the studio in person and there are COVID tests in the beginning or they'll make an agreement not to see other people outside of the studio. So there are some people who are still working in a traditional kind of way, mm -hmm. but for the most part, there's a lot of collaboration happening uh, online. And I've also now signed an artist who I never met in real life. And I just met them uh truly on zoom and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever I kept begging her manager to let me go to Houston to meet her in person but the artist's mom is um a doctor and so it was too risky for me to meet her in person 
And eventually I just thought about it. And I'm like, how many people have I Zoomed with by now? If this girl is a superstar and jumping off the screen on Zoom, I can only imagine that she's even more impressive in real life. Like, I think this is a risk we can take. And um, I was fortunate because Erin and Tom, the chairman of Warner, felt the same way when they met her. I think it was just uh, so immediately clear that if someone is that captivating on a call like this, then they, you know, almost, I guess the X factor is the easiest way to describe it. But if you can feel that digitally, then I think that that's pretty meaningful. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can feel it through Zoom, yeah, it only uh, can get better. Exactly, and then she, we signed her honestly on the last day of the office being open in December, and yeah. she flew here in January to uh, get her EP finished, and I was completely blown away. I was like, thank God, like that we trusted our guts here because I, I really believe she's gonna be. A superstar. I was watching the Grammys yesterday, like picturing what she's gonna wear when she's nominated. And ah. did you say who that artist was? Are you allowed to say who? The artist oh is? yeah, I can say her name's Madeline the Person. I'm not sure when this airs, but um, her debut single is coming out in like three days. It's coming out on Thursday night. So okay, yeah. this will air uh, a week a week after that. Okay, cool. Well, everyone stream as a child by Madeline the person. Um, I think she really is um, just a great artist with such a unique mission statement and purpose. So how do you spell her last name? It's Madeline the person. Oh, Madeline the person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> almost like uh, Tyler the creator, Madeline the person. Yeah. Is, it, yeah. is, that, is the, the, the name Tyler the creator? Was that sort of the inspiration for her name or has nothing? To Not quite. Um, her whole thing, and um, I guess you'll see when it comes out, but um, she's speaking very directly about loss and grief in her music. And a big thing um, for her has been that having those conversations can make people uncomfortable. And she wants to create this safe space where it's okay to talk about serious topics. And her room is like multicolor filled with stuffed animals. She's covered in glitter, like crazy colored hair. And she calls it Personville. And she's like, I'm Madeline the person. I want everyone to come be a part of Personville where you can talk about these things. And nothing is awkward. Nothing is heavy. Nothing is off limits. Like, it's fine. She's 19 years old. And she turned to music when she went through a really tragic loss. And she couldn't find young people who were talking about it. And so she's kind of become the artist she wishes she had growing up. Um, and I think that that's like a pretty beautiful and necessary goal, especially after the year that many of us have had. I think it's just going to be healing for a lot of people. How did how did you let's let's go back to the very beginning of mm -hmm. you, you, you sign Madeline, the person she has a. Is it an album or a single coming out? She has two EPs coming. So one EP in April, another in June. They're both already done. I've never seen anything like it. Like she came here in January and just like immediately finished four songs in like a week. It's crazy. And like I was saying before, I think a part of coming from a publishing company and that background is that I know a lot of the writers and producers and I had a feeling she was going to really connect with this guy called Leroy Clampett. 
And she tried a few people, but she just loved Leroy. And he's ended up producing two EPs for her. Um, There are a couple of songs with another incredible producer called Alex Hope. But with her, instead of just kind of like running her around LA and having her work with a bunch of people, it made more sense to just really develop a sound and go in, especially again, her subject matter is pretty vulnerable. The thought of her having to go and share it with like 20 people in studios didn't really make sense. And it was so lucky that A, Leroy agreed to work with her and B, they just get on so well and had crazy chemistry immediately and just finished these EPs in record speed. I've honestly never seen anything come together uh, quicker. Like she signed December 15th, we were closed till January and she's already got two finished EPs, a music video, a live performance, a full acoustic set. Like she's just been working her butt off. Um, How did you find her in the first place? So she is on TikTok and she has like, I want to say like 250,000 followers or something, which is incredible for someone who joined not long ago, but it's not one of these like viral TikTok stories. Um, But there's an attorney who uh, represents a few of my clients who was in band air program at Syracuse with me. And um, he actually told me about her. She ended up going with a different attorney, but I just was like, I have to sign this girl. She is so unbelievable. And in my entire life of loving music, I've never heard anyone with her tone before, which is hard to say at this point. Like a lot of people kind of sound alike and that's okay, but I would know her voice in an instance. And when you combine that with writing amazing songs by herself and this really direct vision and mission statement, I'm like, these are the kinds of people that we need to be putting out music right now. Okay, so because you went to the Bandier program at Syracuse, you met someone who, a classmate, eventually became an attorney, introduced you to somebody. You heard her, she was very special. So you found this person, talk about, your first, how did you contact the person? And then who did you have to convince at Warner in order to give you the ability to sign this person? How long was the courting process, I guess? So um, we, I was immediately connected with her management. And by that point, Madeline had already met with almost every label. So we were kind of late to the party. Um, and that worried me a bit, but also... I'm not really like the person who signs a lot of TikTok artists. So I wasn't even sure, to be honest, before we met. And then she came on the Zoom. She sang for me in our meeting, which I didn't expect. And her live performance blew me away. Her personality is like immediate. Like she has so much charisma. And when she spoke about what she wanted to achieve in her music, I haven't had such a clear vision from a new artist. Like, I don't know if I ever have, to be honest. So it just immediately caught me off guard. And I called Aaron, like right after the meeting, Aaron's my boss and the chairman of Warner. And he kind of runs A&R and creative. Um, And I told him that we needed to figure out a time for him to meet her ASAP because we were now like late to the game. And he made time almost immediately. And um, she loved me, which I don't know why, but I'm very lucky. She really did. And then she met Aaron and she really loved him. And she 
um, is a very visual thing. She said something that was like, I have my favorite cloud and I see you and Aaron in it. And I was like, okay, this feels good. And so I just, I called her manager and I'm like, she clearly likes us. Like, can we just figure this out? And um, a bunch of labels ended up offering her a deal. They were really fair and transparent about the fact that, um, you know, this is what we need to sign with you and you are our priority, but, you know, can we just make this happen? And what they were looking for was really reasonable, especially considering how talented Madeline is and kind of the future we could picture for her. And it all came together pretty quickly. Like Erin um, and I called Tom Corson and told him about Madeline and Tom is his co-chairman and runs more of the marketing and promo departments. And again, every time she gets on Zoom with anybody, she performs for them, which I don't know anybody who does that, but it's great because she wins everyone over and you can picture the live show because the way her room is decorated is pretty much how she wants her stage design to be. Um, and Tom, again, he's worked with everyone from like Miley to SZA to Brittany, you know, he ran RCA for a long time. And I think he felt the same way where it was like, it's so clear to see where this artist is going. We have to work with her. And it was kind of a no brainer. Um, I didn't feel like I had to convince anybody because she just convinced them the second they met her. With Madeline, so you you were exposed to her, you saw what she was doing. There was the personality, the following on TikTok, which is solid. It's not Kardashian, it's solid, you know. Yeah. Two, 250, you said 250? Yeah. Um, what, what about musically? Had she released music before? What, what had... Not quite. She, um, she had a lot of covers on TikTok, but there were like three occasions where she posted an original on there and they always went viral. And so I heard those songs and there was no demo, there was no recording. It was just her on guitar in her bedroom. One of them was her in her closet singing them. Mm -hmm. And the potential was like crazy. One of them, which is called As a Child, to this day, she has like thousands of comments. I like, when is As a Child coming out? And so that was our priority to get that song finished. And it's coming out this week. Well, I guess when this airs, it will have come out last week. Um, <laughs> but um, it's exciting because I guess it will give us some insight as to how like demand from fans works in a TikTok climate where people have really been anticipating this song's release. And like you said, it's not Kardashian level, but she has a really solid, devoted fan base. And um, so many of the comments are like, this song helped me get through the loss of my grandfather. Or, you know, there's just so many things where I'm like, you can tell this is already helping people. And that's the video of her singing it in a closet. Um, Leroy, who, I, like I said, produced it, did such an incredible job of making sure the emotion is still clear in a, the produced version. And it came out so beautiful. Like, I'm just very excited to see um, how that reacts with this kind of original group of fans she's already built um, and also winning over some new fans too. She, you know, we shot her first ever music video and we got there and uh, I've been on a lot of first music video shoots and it's hard. Like, you know, people think lip syncing to camera is easy or 
it, you know, the confidence and posing comes naturally. And that's not the case. It takes a lot of practice, but she sat down in front of the camera, the music played, nothing happened. And she was like, oh wait, am I supposed to be lip syncing this? Um, it was so cute and endearing. We're like, yeah, you need to actually be lip syncing the song hundred percent. And she was like, got it. And something clicked and immediately she just gave this crazy emotional performance to camera. And I think that, you know, people seeing how real the lyrics and the story and the emotion are to her, even in her performing it in a music video, it's just going to resonate with people because, you know, lust doesn't just mean someone passed away. It can be the end of a relationship. It could be uh, falling out with a friend. There's so many different ways to perceive a song like that. Um, And I just think it's cathartic listening to something like that. And her first EP is kind of themed about uh, loss and grief. And the second is more about her own journey romantically and dating and seeing people and um, kind of the progression. Um, so it just, she calls it chapter one and chapter two. We have these themes that are very autobiographical. And again, like I think um, when I spoke um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how to me, almost as important as talent is a combination of work ethic and a vision. And both of those aspects are so strong with her that it just feels really like everything is easy. And obviously it's not, but it just keeps going smoothly because she knows exactly what she's trying to achieve. Um, so I basically came on this podcast to plug my new sign-in, <laughs> Natalie, <laughs> that wasn't my intention, but I'm just so passionate about her. And I think that is a good recent story of a pandemic era A&R story. It's interesting. We had Daniel Glass on, mentioned mm-hmm. from Glass Note last week, and he was talking about, he all, he has only signed two artists to Glass Note during the pandemic. The first, mm-hmm. he had been in talks with and signed her, I think a week or two into the pandemic, but, but since then he signed really one artist, he says he didn't want to do it because when he sees an artist, he needs to see the artist live and he needs to envision, can that artist, am I seeing an artist who's one day going to be playing arenas and stadiums and festivals, or am I seeing a flavor of the month who? is just going to fall, you know, it, it, you know, almost like it, sometimes some of the TikTok people or SoundCloud people, they get the one shot, you know, and then there's not much beyond that. And that's what he's looking for. Are you in general, what are you looking for? You just gave a really good impression of, of Madeline, the person and what you saw there. And you described that very well. How about other artists? Let's yeah. non-pandemic times. What else are you looking for besides that amazing personality? So um, I, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine asked me to come see his friend play live at the Troubadour. He had driven here from New Jersey to meet with a management company and he was playing a show and I went and I checked him out and I was like immediately obsessed and we became friends and years went by and he started selling out tours and gaining momentum and for some reason in my mind, I was like, we're friends. Like it would be so weird if I tried to sign him. And um, it kind of came to a point where I was like, wait, like I'm 
the biggest idiot in the world. Like I met him as a fan. We became friends because I was so obsessed with his live show and performance. And here I am like sitting out because of friendship. Like, I don't think that makes sense. I'm friends with a lot of artists on my roster. And so I ended up signing him during the pandemic, but I had kind of been trying, I think for a few years without even realizing it. And um, so that was one where it was like fully began because of his live performance. And his name is Adam Melcher. Um, Adam had toured with Dodie and played a bunch of festivals. And I saw him play the Greek and Troubadour and all these different size venues. And uh, he was so incredible live, no matter the setting or the size of the room. And then when he put out music, I felt like the way he wrote lyrics and told stories was just so special and unique. So it's kind of like a combination of his touring and live show and then the songwriting itself. And I mean, Adam's voice is truly incredible. He's another one with crazy personality and like his relationship with his fans is crazy. He goes live on some form of social media every night and sometimes I'll pop in and he'll be like, oh man, hey Jen, like, hey Neve, how's your sister doing? Like, did you end up buying the dog last week and I'm like Adam how do you know everything about all your fans like this is insane and he's friends with all of them and he spent the past year literally getting to know them all every day and he has these hardcore fans who it's just I've never seen anyone with such strong relationship with his fan base um he was actually the last concert I went to before pandemic he sold out the troubadour um and I don't know, it just, again, a bunch of labels wanted to sign him. It was clear why. And I think like everyone who I have signed, it's kind of like a combination of incredible songwriting, a vision, a mission statement, great life performer, something to say. And someone who isn't gonna, like if I see Adam or Madeline are calling me at like 4 a.m., I'd be happy to take that call. It wouldn't bug me because they're great human beings. And um, Adam said something recently about how he feels like for every text we send about work, there's four texts asking about each other's lives. And I just think that that's like a pretty special thing. Like he's just so caring and um, that extends to his team, his fans, everyone. So he's pretty special too. Pre- pandemic and um some other kind of signing tales I signed Amy with Aaron kind of together to Warner um so Amy is my management client who I previously published so we've had kind of like every possible form of working relationship at this point I've been her publisher I manage her with Jonathan like I said and Aaron and I A&R her on the label side And Amy's story was um, she had written like all these crazy top 40 hit songs, but her dream was to kind of like recreate that Laurel Canyon sound and reimagine it for today. And I think a lot of people, when they heard Amy was doing her artist project, thought it was going to be very similar to what she wrote for Selena or Halsey or, um, you know, some of these big artists. And it, it was a surprise to a lot of people that what she's doing, like to me, it's almost like 
today's Cheryl Crow or today's Alanis. So um, with her, it was like, she's a proven hit writer with a really unique carved out lane, which I don't feel like anyone is actually really doing right now. And um, again, had toured for years with her band. So a crazy history of performing live. The moment that she kind of snapped and was like, I need to be an artist was she did a showcase at the Grammys two years ago and she was performing as songwriter in the round thing. And she was singing these songs she wrote for other people. And she came off stage and hugged me and was like sobbing and was like, I need to be on stage again. Like I have to tour, I miss performing live. And so I think that's, you know, what Daniel said to you is true. I think that really is, especially um, in this day and age, such an important emphasis on a great live performer and someone with stage presence and, um, you know, the ability for a relentless and difficult touring life because it's not easy being on the road, that's for sure. Um, but with Amy, her music came out during the pandemic. She'd spent a year basically after signing, making this incredible album and then COVID happened. And so in the absence of her being able to perform live for people like she wanted to, we asked her to like conceptualize what would her dream show look like? And we put it together and filmed it and it's on YouTube, anyone can watch it, but um, Jonathan is really well connected in the touring space. So he had sent it to a bunch of promoters and agents. And um, it's been really great because when pandemic ends, we know she has great festivals booked and touring opportunities. And we didn't get to have her perform for people in person live, but we showed them what an Amy Allen show would be like. And somehow that worked. I think it's similar to what we were talking about with Madeline, where it's like, if someone blows you away on camera, they're gonna be even better in person. So those are kind of a few very different right. kinds of artists, but I think they have similarities too. They're all really incredible songwriters in their own right and great performers and wanna kind of achieve a very specific goal. Why would an artist want to sign? Why do you think with a label these days anyway? You know, what is it that you guys are providing that if they're doing well on their own, Amy already was, a, uh, you know, had great publishing chops. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's say she could on her own get a million streams without the help of a label. What mm -hmm. is it that the label is going to do besides just give an advance? Experience? I think it's different person by person. Everyone is seeking something else. From a label, I think the obvious are the resources and the various departments and the international weight that a label carries. And when the time is right, radio is important. Things like tour support, funding for great content and music videos and things like that are kind of the same at every label. I think Warner is unique in the sense that Aaron and Tom started this new regime a couple of years ago and they brought in almost entirely new heads of department. So um, the head of digital, as we call it, fan engagement, came from gaming. Uh, the head of promo came from the management side. I came from publishing. PJ, who's the head of sync, was a music supervisor. So it's a lot of people who kind of think outside the box and 
are on this shared mission to make something incredible happen. And I think that when artists meet with us, they can feel that, you know, you always want to be surrounded by people who really believe in you and are going to do whatever they can to break you. And I think an artist can pick up on that when that is the case. And um, we've been really lucky when we really love an artist. I think most of the time they have sensed that with the Warner team. And so we've been able to sign a lot of really incredible talent and um, it just feels exciting being on this kind of new mission with new blood and a bunch of people who think a bit differently. And I'd engaged with labels before, especially working on the management side and as a publisher. And it's just, obviously I'm biased, but it really feels like Warner is doing something special right now. So I think people detect that in speaking to us. Uh, is Warner signing basically standard deals with artists? It depends. It really depends. Like I'm not as privy to a lot of the um, different deals, but I think it kind of depends on the type of artist, what they've achieved on their own, what they're trying to do, what's important to them. Um, a friend of mine at another label um, within the group was signing an artist whose biggest priority was music videos. And that artist requested that instead of an advance, they had a huge video fund. And I think that there's ways that we can be creative in tailoring and hearing out what exactly someone's trying to achieve and making sure they have the right resources for it. Because mm -hmm. if you're an artist who writes, produces, mixes, and makes all your own music, you don't necessarily need a big recording fund um, that those resources are better spent elsewhere. So it's just always a conversation and kind of depends on who we're talking to and what they actually need. Yeah. Who have you passed on that you wish you hadn't passed on? Um, I, I feel like that's a really tough thing to say and I don't want anyone to feel disrespected in any way. But I actually feel pretty good on the label side with the decisions I've made. I would say... Uh, my regrets were more as a publisher with some songwriters and producers who I just did not understand or I had a weird meeting with them and I thought the fact that their personality was a bit off meant people wouldn't like them and they've gone on to be huge multi-platinum uh, award-winning people and there's a lesson in that too but I don't go after a lot and I don't sign that much. I, I think I learned from my first job at Sony where Mark, my boss had 80 songwriters. He couldn't speak to them every day and he couldn't do justice by all of them, no matter how hard he worked. And he worked very, very hard. Um, I like the idea. And I think this, at APG, it was kind of the first time I'd seen how great it is having a small roster that you can actually focus on and speak to every day. And just knowing that I'm not going to be the person who signs 20 things, like I'm kind of at peace with um, things I've passed on because I know that they weren't quite right for me and I wouldn't have been the right person for them. I want to believe in everyone on my roster as much as you can hear. I believe in Amy and Madeline, and Adam and all these people because otherwise it's not fair. And so if I pass on someone, it's probably because no matter how incredible they are, I just haven't reached that threshold. And I don't think it would be fair on them. They deserve to have like the biggest fan ever on their team. So. Mm -hmm. I was speaking with the father of a former student 
of, of mine here at William Patterson University. You guys have mentioned Syracuse about 50 times. I will mention William Patterson, William Patterson. Um, I'm an alum of William Patterson and I teach there. So you guys can talk all you want about some school where it's always cold. So, yeah. But, uh, so at William Patterson, we have students and a student graduated and she got a manager and the manager told her, don't release anything because when the labels come calling, they're not going to want to deal with music that's already been released. I've never heard anything less true. Thank you. I completely disagree with that advice. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, good, good, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell, me, tell me why, because I agree with you, but tell me why yeah. you disagree. I mean, first of all, we have teams that handle kind of already released music, if that's the case. But I think that in this day and age, like I said, the development and building is done before a label deal. And we're interested in people who have built momentum on their own, because if you can do that, we're plugging in and kind of like adding to it. But how can you gain momentum with no music out? Like there's really no harm in doing it. And, you know, if anything, I've worked with or signed an artist before who had a couple of things out that he wasn't proud of anymore. And we were like, great, we'll take them off your page. It's not a big deal, but I, I don't know if we would have discovered him without those songs being out and getting those streams. So um, I don't really agree with that. I think it's more, I would say, if you don't have your visuals together or um, you don't feel ready or there's no follow-up, then yeah, maybe hold off a second. But I wouldn't say don't put music out until you're in a label deal. That feels pretty backwards to me. Good, okay. Um, singles versus albums. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion? Artist by artist, I'm sure, but tell yeah. us what you think. I think case by case, it depends how prolific an artist is. But I don't, I think, you know, there was a bit of a stigma back in the day about putting out a bunch of songs and that's completely gone out of the window. And we've seen a lot of pop acts kind of follow um, how mixtapes and rap music has operated for years and just getting out a bunch of music constantly. And like, I think people like Ariana Grande in the pop space have kind of paved the way and shown how much fans get excited if you keep them satisfied with like constant new releases and that can be singles it can be albums I think it's more just about making sure that when you release something you have the next thing lined up already instead of putting things out in isolation um and just making sure that's kind of a plan and a reason for everything you're doing I just think be thoughtful um don't randomly put songs out no, yeah, the plan is so important, especially if, if you're on the indie side and you have limited funding behind you, you might as well really plan it out. And yeah, if you have to wait a little bit longer until you have that follow-up, like you mentioned. Yeah. So, let me ask you a couple of things because you're also an artist manager. You mentioned managing Amy. Mm -hmm. When you are looking at, let's say Amy put out a new song, puts out, puts out a new song next week, for example. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at Spotify for artists or Apple Music for artists or Amazon, you're looking at things like that. What are the things on release day and over the next two, three, four, five weeks, what are the things that you're looking at on, well, just focus right now on Spotify for artists. What mm -hmm. are the things that you hone in on or that you're looking at um, where you can determine 
whether this is a success or, or maybe things aren't going the way you had hoped? Um, I think just trying to see that with every release, we're growing our audience and more people are listening and more people are following. It's about growing. I'm not looking at specific metrics. I think it's really early in Amy's artist career and it wouldn't be fair to be um, putting weight into specific numbers. What's more important to me is that with each release that comes out, um, the amount of listeners increases, the amount of saves increases. Um, she's building followers across all socials alongside it. And um, that the kinds of playlists she's on are improving. And I think that we have seen that and it's felt really good organically. Um, but I also think you can fall into a trap like Spotify for artists is addicting because it just keeps, you know, like updating with the numbers and you can get really fixated on looking at an app like that. So again, I think it's less about numbers with it, especially with a new artist and more about making sure that every release is bigger and bigger and building up to something. Um, so that seems to me to be kind of the healthiest way to use a tool like that. And the reality is breaking anyone in a pandemic is very tough. Like it's difficult. No one has the answers for how to do that. And it hasn't happened frequently. So removing that pressure of like, you don't need to become a superstar tomorrow. It's about growing your fan base in a really like solid, stable way and continuing to grow it. That's the most important thing, to be honest. Right. And I've, I've talked to artists that, especially on the indie side, that use this time to exactly like you said, build as much as you can in the online side and, and through uh, the various DSPs so mm -hmm. that when live shows come up, you have built a, an artist, um, sorry, a following. You know, you have yeah. people who will actually go see you live. Don't waste this time and do nothing. You know, do all you can to build that following so that when shows come, you can sell some tickets and you didn't lose yeah. a yeah. half or whatever. I think people have been really productive. Like Adam, who I told you I signed, um, taught himself how to produce. And he's like finishing his own songs now. And he did that during the pandemic, Amy figured out a way to kind of like perform live on her own and has been taking vocal and making sure she's practicing instruments all the time and trying to learn how to TikTok, which is not easy for anyone, you know, unless it comes super naturally to them and um, making sure that all the tools that you have to ensure that following grows are being used and you're not just sitting at home binging Netflix because that doesn't help anyone you know I'm lucky none of the people I work with would do that like that I wish they were slightly more lazy they are constantly working but I think that's a good thing because I never have to call them to be like oh you should be doing more of this that kind of self-starts in that sense because ultimately they want this more than anything I think that that's kind of important what is a good save rate in, in Spotify, for example? Do, do, do you have uh, something in your head that uh, that like five to 10% or you don't go by? It's so not how, it's so not how I operate. And like, uh -huh. I'm sure that, I'm sure there are people at the label who are paying attention to that. I'm literally just like, are more people listening than were a month ago? Great. We're doing well. Is the music video getting more views on the first week than where you used to, amazing. Like we're 
building progress. I'm not really like looking at like very specific details. Maybe that's um, a bad thing, but I think it's really easy to get caught up in like kind of minutia. And when the time comes that these people have much bigger audiences, things like that and engagement are super important. But right now I just wanna make sure it reaches enough people as humanly possible and that people are discovering her music. So for YouTube, for example, are you just looking at views or are you also making sure that uh, comments and likes are in good ratio to the views? Because I was talking to a guy the other day yeah. who did some YouTube advertising and the ad that he ran um, would count as a view, but people were clicking past the ad right after that. So nobody was necessarily seeing the whole video. And so therefore they weren't liking or disliking and they were commenting. And he said the, it just looked awful because he said he had like 70,000 views of his video, but like hardly any comments or likes. Right. He said, it just looks like I bought, bought views, which I didn't do, but it looks like that, you know? So um, I definitely think it's important that it doesn't look like that, you know, like that sounds pretty extreme, but um, we kind of look at the amount of views that have come from ads and how many people do keep watching and I think we're lucky at least in Amy's case that people have stuck around because I think she's put out great visuals and has amazing songs out so it's actually a tool that things like that exist but um yeah I again there are specific departments whose sole thing is looking at all these metrics and statistics and stuff like I personally I'm only speaking for myself I'm so not hung up on that stuff I'm like I believe in the quality of the music that we're putting out and the visuals and the content it's going to happen at some point it's just about more people seeing it right now and hearing it that's really interesting because again going back to the Daniel Glass he was saying the same thing you know he wasn't going for I think I mentioned the flavor of the month you know the TikTok person not not talking about Madeline the person, but you know, the one yeah. TikTok person who has that one song that went viral. He's he's still, I want to say maybe old school, you know, not just playing money mall, not just looking at analytics. He's listening to the song and very similar to a lot of the things that you're saying right now as well. Yeah, well, I, you know, Warner does both. Like we have some people who broke off TikTok. We have songs that have gone viral we also have artists in development and I feel fortunate to be working at a label that allows me to sign based off belief rather than just pure virality so um that was just a good fit in terms of a label home and employer for me um but I think it's good that we have a mix of both those things because they're important and I'm just not um the kind of person who is particularly strong at um closing those kinds of things or even particularly like interested in viral acts um if that if I love the music then obviously I will but it always comes down to kind of the strength of the material um a colleague of mine well two Miles and Jeff June signed CJ who's having like a crazy hit with Whoopty and I love that song, but like never in a million years would I be the person signing it. And I know that and that's okay. So I'm glad that CJ is signed to Warner and I'm a fan and um, I love those guys. I'm glad that they're having a hit with him, but I also know my strengths and I'm not that person either. Mental health, 
there have been times mm-hmm. you've been really burned out in your career, you know, workaholic type hours for long periods of time. Can you just briefly explain what some of the things that you did to break away, to get your, your rest, your, get your, your break, and then be able to come back and be inspired mm-hmm. and go at it? Yeah. I mean, I think the first time I really got burnt out, it was bad, like really, really bad. When I was working at TAP, I would be in LA and a lot of my roster was in the UK or in Australia. And so I set an alarm for every hour of the night to check my emails. Like you can't sleep properly when you live that way. And I was completely exhausted and overworked. And that wasn't anyone's fault except my own. Like I kind of just did that because I felt obligated to from my own crazy work ethic um but when it came to head like I literally felt like I had zero energy to do anything suddenly and I went from being full throttle to like literally having no ability to function and so ever since I can kind of like feel it coming um if I'm getting to a point where that is kind of on the horizon I take a break and I've been lucky I know not everyone can do this but my boss is amazing and I think he knows that if I'm saying like I need time off I actually need time off I'm not just trying to like gallivant around on vacation like I've overworked myself a bit and it's a priority for my employer and everyone kind of around us to make sure that we're all mentally okay and they've made very clear to us that that is the case and we can take the time if we need it and I have done and I think um, taking time off can feel daunting in a way because you don't want to seem like lazy or like you're not dedicated but no one actually thinks that that was fully all in my head I think it's actually respectable if someone's like I need a break I'm going to come back like ready to go but can I just go away for a few days or something like it's not a bad thing and um, I would go to shows every day because I felt like that's what you're supposed to do when you're an A&R person and I didn't enjoy live music anymore I was just like most of the things I'm seeing I don't even like and it's gone to a point where pre-pandemic I went to way more shows of my favorite artists and I would like prioritize that over just going to see like a random show every day and take evenings off and only you know people in music I guess in a lot of entertainment industry want to get dinner all the time and I thought that and I'm like that's like two other meals a day that's like Mm -hmm. 10 meals a week I could be meeting with people and they all just want to get dinner and I'm like I want to go home and like read and see my dogs I'll meet with someone if it's really urgent and there's no other time or I'll go to a show of someone who I'm interested in or a fan of but I'm not doing random things as much outside of work hours like I think that's helped a lot too. Yeah, that's great. I, I wanted to make sure we touched on that because I think uh, a, a lot of people don't think about that part as much as they should. Yeah, and songwriters and producers and artists, I think, have the same thing where they're like, they see on social media, people are like, oh, I'm in the studio, I'm on my third session of the day. And I'm like, that's not impressive to me at all. Like, you're probably not writing amazing stuff if you're doing three sessions a day. I think it's way more important to like, be smart with time management and make sure that you don't burn out as well because I've seen creative people 
grow uninspired or run out of things to say or just get exhausted, like I said, and burn out. So I think across the board, it's really important to just not sign up for too much. Right. Well, I don't think you gave us too much today, <laughs> Landman. And uh, we are going to end right now before you give us too much and nobody wants to look <laughs> Leave them wanting more, right, Gabs? Exactly. That's right. So, Dr. Stabon, are you happy with how Gabs did? Absolutely. I'm so grateful that you guys had me. Thank you very, very much. Oh, that was very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I do very have well. a question, though. I've always had yeah. about A&R. Mm -hmm. And that is, when, when do you question or the other people question that you've, you've lost it? I mean, right. we've signed somebody and then two years have gone by, three years have gone by and you still haven't signed somebody else. I mean, I know there are some A&R people that had one great yeah. sign and then really nothing for five years and whatever. I say you never count anyone out who's had any form of success because mm. it's so hard to have a successful artist. Even yeah. doing it once shows tremendous ability. I think you can't count against someone like that. So it's kind of important to just give people time. And I feel the same way with writers and producers who wrote a hit song and it's been a minute since they've had a follow-up. I'm like, no, if you've written a hit once, that's crazy. Think about statistically, like how many songs are written every year? I wouldn't discount or or just count against anybody. I think it's worth giving everyone the opportunity to do something great again. You were great again for that little extra that you just gave us. So thanks, again, <laughs> thanks for being here. Thank you guys. So Gabs, do you know what we say at the end of every show? Uh, I hope someone listens. <laughs> well, that's that's inherent in the. <laughs> but actually like, no one's tuning into me speaking especially not after daniel glass he's a legend well they're listening to the podcast and they're very excited they've been rewinding halfway through every time they hear your voice they're yeah. very, very happy very happy you bring joy to the masses so another thing that brings joy to the masses is when we finally end the show and what we say at the end of every show is adios yeah adios Come help.
们的。